0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'm
1: so glad you're with us, and welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. And I want to talk about something that has been a real upset to Uh, millions and millions of Americans about what's coming up this fall and that is how college and university is going to work and for both the students and their families this has been tumultuous Uh, you know we've got things all over the board we have colleges that are going to be all online again for this year and then we've got a lot of schools that at least for the fall semester are doing uh three-part hybrid education offerings and I mean I have read some of these things from colleges and I read the one from my daughter's college where she's a junior and a lot of them are following this method where you go back to school in August and you leave campus if they're having campus before Thanksgiving and then you your exams are done online after thanksgiving but before christmas the idea is not to send people home if we have a second wave of coronavirus outbreaks in the fall that people might get them at thanksgiving bring them back to school as they scatter around uh, the state or country for thanksgiving break and so that's why pretty universally colleges are cutting off any on-campus activities or instruction before Thanksgiving but then the hybrid thing is they're offering online-only classes and then classes that are only offered in person and then classes that are offered either in person or online for the same exact class and so if your child is looking at going back for a fall semester where the cost is very high where they attend and they're only even partially going to have, if at all, in-classroom instruction at an expensive private or out-of-state school, I want to tell you my obsession with community college becomes a lot more relevant in this case where why not pay micro tuitions instead of big or giant tuitions for a semester or a school year where you're not getting what you were paying for in a traditional college environment especially at private colleges where you have the much smaller class sizes normally you're losing all that specialness and still paying massive tuition because at community college You're going to pay very little money. There are now, I think it's five states that for in state residents, community college is free now. Even if you have to pay, it's not a lot. Community colleges have so much smaller classroom sizes, whether they're virtual or they're in person, than most colleges, except for small liberal arts colleges. But if you're not even in the classroom at a small liberal arts college, why not take a class online or if they're having in person at a local community college because normally as long as you have got pre-approval that the credits will transfer back into the degree program at the school you're regularly attending then why not if it's what I call fake school (laughs) this the way they did this spring with the online that Uh, People had to do in a hurry, and teachers worked so hard, and professors and instructors and all levels of education. People did a heroic effort pivoting right away, but it's just not the same online as in person. So that's just my thought, and you may disagree with me, but why spend uh, $50,000 to $80,000 for a school year when you're not getting the experience that you were intending to have it's time for your questions you posted at clark.com ask and producers kim and joel alternating and asking these questions kim who do you have a question from
2: this
3: is from steve in colorado and steve says when i log into my credit card online to pay my bill There's often special offers for additional cash back interest points over the normal cash back earning rate the card carries. For example, it might say I can get 5% cash back if I purchase something at XYZ for a particular date range. And then it asks me to accept or decline the offer. So I have two questions for you. One, why are they asking my permission instead of just giving me the offer And two, is there any downside to accepting these offers? For right now, I pay my card off at the end of every month and I always decline these offers. I'm wondering if I should start always accepting them. Always accept them. Okay, so let's go to your
1: core question. Why do you have to accept these offers? Because this is a co-marketing program. They may be paying the credit card company to be part of the marketing effort or it just may be a goodwill thing they're doing they don't want to give it to somebody who doesn't even know that there's a special incentive to go to the place so the idea is it's a traffic diversion offer that when they offer you um, let's say five percent cash back on a purchase at xyz store by getting you to sign up for that offer it may be a store that you don't routinely or normally go to but because you know you're getting five percent back this month if you shop there then maybe you take a trip there or go online to their .com and buy something you wouldn't otherwise. So that's why you have to sign up for these incentives instead of them just automatically coming to you. And there's no downside to you taking the extra free
4: money. Joel? Clark Angela in Georgia says, is answering surveys a legit way to make money online? And if so, what sites should I be looking at?
1: <laughs> we... <laughs> We did a review of these at clark.com. Please go read our story on it. And for the most part, the survey thing, you earn so little money, it works out to cents per hour. So it was very difficult for us to find um, organizations that offer paying people for doing surveys where the money you earn was enough that made it worth doing so i mean seriously most of them you don't even hit a dollar an hour equivalent doing the surveys Um, our writer michael did that where he tested these spent hours and hours doing these various survey opportunities and he's got the breakdown for you on his story and kim who do you have a question from
3: this is from Shea in Connecticut. Shea says, my wife and I are going to be sitting down with a CFP for the first time in our lives next week. We are in our late 20s. What are some questions we should be asking to determine if this financial planner is a good fit for us? Also, are there any red flags we should be listening for in his pitch? So what you need to know
1: is, is that CFP a fiduciary? and you need them to sign a statement saying that they are in fact a fiduciary what a fiduciary means is with a fiduciary standard they put your interests first and that is all they're about if you deal with a certified financial planner who is not a fiduciary the problem is that they could put you into products that have higher costs for you or have commissions built into them that effectively reduce the amount of money you have. So you want to be certain that this individual is, in fact, a fiduciary. Being a CFP in no way means that somebody is a fiduciary. They have to be willing to do business only as a fiduciary if that is something they wish to do, um and I know that gets really confusing with all the certifications out there and all the rest. The standard that matters, the only one that matters, is that somebody is, in fact, legally a fiduciary representing you.
4: Joel? Clark Althea in Georgia says, "Is it best to buy a car with more miles? That's a newer model. Or is it best to get an older model that has fewer miles on it?
1: So within reason, I like for you to go back a model year or two and get a vehicle with much lower miles than get a more recent model that has very high miles. I discussed this recently involving the Hertz bankruptcy and trying to liquidate a lot of their inventory that when I looked through, even though the deals were extraordinary, on the inventory Hertz was liquidating, a lot of the vehicles as uh, 18 or 19 model years had extremely high miles on them. And as a comparison to that, i like for you to look back at, let's say, model year 2017, wherever you would buy a used vehicle, and find one with much lower miles. The sweet spot in the market is three model years back from current, and under 36,000 miles on the odometer. Kim?
3: Sharon in Florida says, I'm shopping around for car insurance, and I'm wondering why when I call a company for a quote, before they'll give me a quote, they always ask me, how much are you paying now, and which insurance company are you using now? My question is, if they're going to give me a straight and honest quote for no-fault insurance, why do they need to know what I'm paying now?
1: That is a great question, and, you know, I've never had anybody say that to me, that they were asked their current amount. I mean, you could fib and give an amount that is lower per six months than what you're actually paying, so they're not just trying to beat what you have by $10 or something, and if you gave them a quote substantially lower, then they've got a much harder target to to meet or beat. And they may well do so. But asking for that information sounds like uh, trying to reduce what kind of offer they're actually going to make to you. Joel?
4: Clark James in Texas says, I'm rebuilding my credit right now. My current score is around 746. I have just a few credit cards that I pay off every month, a mortgage and two auto loans that each have 12 months left. I'm worried what'll happen to my score though when these auto loans are satisfied and closed. Do you have any advice for me to keep my score up when that happens?
1: So credit cards are the key once you no longer have installment debt. And a case where you have no other forms of debt, but 746 is a very solid credit score. I wanna make sure that you have at least two credit cards. uh, Even if you're carrying no other forms of debt, and you have a solid credit history, I want you to have three credit cards from three different issuing institutions. Use all three of them. Keep the use of available credit below 10% and you will have a rock, rock solid credit score. chase joins us on the clark howard show hi chase
5: hi clark uh it's great to talk to you i've been listening to your shows for a while now with my dad when i'm on uh long car rides
1: well i understand that you like to play video games just like my son does and he tries to get me to sit with him and watch him play and i just get cross-eyed in like 15 seconds
5: yeah the same thing happens to my dad when he watches
1: Is there a particular game that's your favorite or that you're the best at?
5: Um, I still play a lot of Fortnite. It's not as big as it used to be, but it's still something I enjoy playing with friends.
1: Well, your question for me concerns video games. Tell me about it.
5: So basically, uh, about a week ago, I was playing against another player online, and we were doing what's called a wager, so I play against him for money. And he said if I won, uh, he would pay me the $20 when he got his next paycheck. So I ended up winning, and he said to send me my email or send him my email um, for my PayPal so he could send me the money. But I was wondering if that's a risk at all with sending an email, if they could hack into my PayPal or mess with anything in my account?
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty risky thing because so often there's total anonymity with who you're playing against. And so there are a few things that you should know. And one is that people will pretext, meaning that they want to send money to your PayPal account with the intent of actually cracking into it and pulling money out uh, through that portal or gaining access to your email and other things. So one protection I like for you to do if you are going to do um, video gaming for money is to set up a separate PayPal account with a separate bank account tied to it that you have minimal money in and that you use a different email address that's only used tied in with that online account and that PayPal account. So, in other words, you wall off your existence, the email you normally use, the PayPal account you might normally use, and the bank account you normally use, so that you're hermetically sealed in those three areas. So that if somebody was up to no good, and I can go through a long list of things that would make you paranoid, um, if somebody was up to no good, there's nothing they're going to be able successfully to do, really.
5: All right. The other thing I had was I know there was an option for a PayPal.me, and then you put a link at the end. Is that safer, or is it still better to just set up a totally separate account? Uh,
1: so that that may be a step that would help, but I really like the whole separate thing because All what right. you don't want is somebody to get at the core of your life, your regular email address your regular bank account, your regular PayPal account. So when you're paying people, you pay people through your regular account. When you're receiving money, the money goes into this alternative PayPal account.
5: All right. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. It was a lot of help. Thank you for speaking with me today.
1: Thank you, and I hope that you're such a great gamer that you make a lot of money.
5: Sounds good. Have a nice day. You too.
1: It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you being empowered with knowledge so you have more control over your wallet and your financial future. And I want you to know that what you heard me say this is about is about you being empowered so you have more control over your future. And that requires that you have precision, advice from me that you can act on in your life is relevant to you and that you can trust what I say so there are times you'll hear me and you'll say that you think I'm out of my mind you're thinking to yourself or you think I gave bad advice or guidance or incomplete information or bad opinions so that's why we have clark.com slash clark stinks where you can go give me the feedback I need and other people can see what you've said and they can comment on it, agree, disagree. And then most weeks, we have a Clark Stink section on the show where highlights from your post are read by producers Kim and Joel.
3: I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, are you ready for this? Of course. All right, here we go. This first one is from Joe and Joe says, "Clark, I am very grateful to all of the great advice you've given. However, I disagree with the idea of having students return in the fall. The students' social interactions are indeed important, but not as important as their health and that of their family members. The district that I work for is proposing to start school in the fall." But they are not going to apply any social distancing in school buses. They are also making masks optional for the students to wear and for the staff. As a father, this concerns me because I have a newborn and I know of other teachers who have underlying conditions or have children with underlying conditions. In addition, if students are allowed to return, the interaction they'll have with other students will be minimal. Our district has informed us that lunch and recess will take place in the classroom and that all desks will be facing forward rather than in groups. So no group work. Clark, I believe that students are resilient and once we have this situation under control, they can grow socially under safer circumstances. Sincerely a disappointed, but still a fan.
1: Thank you for your post. And this stuff isn't easy. And we've had, um, uh, failure in the psychology in the United States with particularly men being resentful and unwilling to wear masks and communicating to others that masks are not necessary. The reality is masks are one of the most effective ways to reduce the spread of coronavirus, something we didn't know uh, the, the epidemiologists, the public health professionals didn't know that for sure. Now they know that with near certainty that the masks help reduce the spread. And one of the events that occurred that was a real convincing thing was what happened in that hair salon in Missouri where two stylists that were masked up both had coronavirus and had done the hair of, I think, 58 people and they went zero for 58 in spreading the coronavirus. The masks protect others, not yourself. And I don't know why it's macho to spread coronavirus potentially to someone else. So the mask thing, we've got to make mandatory in the schools. Uh, the school bus thing you said is potentially concerning. And anybody who's vulnerable has a pre existing condition. There needs to be some kind of way that they can um, take education without being in the classroom. But I do respectfully disagree with you about kids' development. I think they're really missing something by not having that time with their peers.
4: Joel? Clark, Dave says, no stinkies, but two suggestions. One more important than the other, but I'll let you decide which is which. Number one, any self-proclaimed nerd who wears a smartwatch on both wrists finds comfort and value in the redundancy of a safety backup. May I suggest that you round out your wardrobe ensemble by wearing both suspenders and a belt? You will rest at ease knowing your pants won't fall down. <laughs> <laughs> I know I can't get this through this Wait, one wait, wait, time. wait.
1: I'm about to put on a third smart device. I'll oh, say it ain't so. I'm getting the Aura Ring. So I'll have the Samsung smartwatch, I have the Active 2, I have the Garmin smartwatch, and then I'm going to have the Aura smart ring, and so it hasn't raised my IQ wearing all these smart things.
3: (laughs) Why do you wear the two watches?
1: Okay, so I've been in the Garmin world for, I guess for nine years now, so I have all my historical data, I see how I'm doing over time. you know, I'm, I'm now in, in, uh, a Medicare card holder. I'm 65. And so knowing that I'm maintaining good fitness is really important to me. And I wear the Samsung smartwatch because I'm really into all the smartwatch kind of functions. I can do Dick Tracy and talk to people from my watch. I can do verbal commands to my watch, all that kind of thing. And so my phone doesn't even have to be on me. It can be nearby. So that's why I wear these too.
4: All right. Let's get to Dave's number two suggestion. He says, many listeners call for advice regarding wills. Most procrastinate due to the complexity, expense, and effort required to make a will. Your advice is sound, but you omit a very important preliminary step. Everyone should always, always name a beneficiary on every insurance policy, financial account, retirement account, and property when possible. Naming a beneficiary is simple, free, and requires very little effort. Naming a beneficiary should always be the first step in long-term financial planning, much like putting on pants and a shirt before putting on your
1: suspenders. (laughs) Oh, and one thing about beneficiary designations. Thank you for that suggestion. Um, We'll do a beneficiary designation. Then life will happen in many intervening years, and we will have somebody as our beneficiary who we did not intend anymore. We do a will, say who we want things to go to, and you can even have situations where a former spouse gets the money because the beneficiary designation trumps what goes in a will. It is the higher designator. So make sure you remind yourself of who you've made as beneficiaries on various policies and accounts, and that as your life circumstances do change, that you also change those beneficiary designations.
3: Kim? This is from Neil. Neil says, regarding faith-based healthcare sharing plans, Clark said, there are limitations on what they pay and there can be problems when they run out of funds. Hmm, that sounds a lot like the commercial insurance company that I'm with now. Interesting.
1: Uh, I'm not aware of any traditional commercial health insurers that have gone insolvent if a commercial health insurer that is properly uh... registered with the state uh... has financial problems it is up to the state to do a workout of that insurer there is no equivalent for faith-based health plans that are not compliant meaning that they set their own rules they decide what they're going to pay uh, what procedures are covered and so they are a viable alternative for many people it's just important to understand that a faith-based bl- health plan is not insurance and does not work like insurance
4: joel pamela says clark you're usually on top of things fishing uh and like fishing and scams but you missed the mark on this one there's a caller asking about an Amazon email telling her she needs to update her Alexa account. I've received several of these. All you need to do on this one and with all phishing emails is hover over the email address with your mouse and you'll see who it's coming from from, and then move it to junk.
1: That is a great, great suggestion. And it's one that I forget to add as part of talking to somebody about a scam. And great that you did so. A lot of times people, though, are seeing these things on their phone and it's many times not as easy to hover over the bar on your phone. But that is a great tool to protect yourself from the scams. Kim?
3: William says Clark couldn't vote and then he whined about it on TV. I say you could have voted absentee or you could have voted early. I really can't believe you missed out.
1: So to tell you the whole story, I did register for absentee. I registered as an absentee voter two months before the primary day, and my uh, college daughter did, and my wife did, and only my daughter's absentee ballot ever came. In our jurisdiction, tens of thousands of people's absentee ballots never arrived, I then went to try to vote three different times. And each time the line was multiple hours long. And Kim, you were able to vote after how long did it take you?
3: When it was, you went. It was, a, it was a little over two hours.
1: And so voting should not be, particularly for a, a non-presidential general election, it shouldn't take multiple hours to vote because of the low percent turnout in these things. So it was just a complete mess up. A lot of states and jurisdictions around the country are not ready for the elections this year and we need to make sure that people have the ability to express their constitutional right and so I am going to again uh, hope over experience file for another
4: absentee ballot and see if it comes this time. Joel? Clark Roberts says, not a stink, just a cringe when you push target date funds for retirement. Over the years, a fund with bonds in it will underperform the S&P 500. Most retirees will have Social Security, which is a super bond for safety and index for inflation. That will be their bonds. I've been retired for over 30 years. I have no bonds in my investment account. I appreciate your post
1: very much. The, the reality is that most people who have money... In a 401k or Roth IRA, psychologically can't handle extreme short term losses. So you balance out a portfolio to reduce the volatility of the overall money in an account. You know, there's a big area of economics now called behavioral economics that looks at not what, like you're looking at it from a 100% rational viewpoint. But that's not how most of us are wired, and that's why it's important in target date retirement funds that they do become more conservative as people approach retirement so that you reduce the level of freakout in a market decline close to that target date. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to post on Clark Stinks because it really helps me to see how I'm communicating ineffectively, or where I'm giving an incomplete, not giving the level of information I should, please, when I disappoint you, take the time to go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Wilma is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Wilma. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm so happy to be able to speak with you. Well, thank you, Wilma. It's wonderful having you here.
0: Well, thank you. I always uh, tell my family members specifically, that uh, they should listen to, to your podcast because you great, give some great advice, and I appreciate that. Thank you. So my question, I am 63, and I'm currently still working, and I do have a military pension. Well, thank and you so for your
1: service to our country. Which branch were you in? Army. Well, thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you, uh, and same to you, because I know that you are also uh, part of the military. So, 19 um, years soon. Oh, wow, awesome. That's awesome. So you're almost there. So. so my current job, I do have a pension with them also. Wow. And, so, <laughs> and by the way, I have IRAs that I have also invested on my own, so I, I have all that. So my question is, if I choose to retire before, I receive the age of, which is 66 and a half for me, for full Social Security benefits. How would that affect what I receive for Social Security?
1: Since, let's say,
0: I retire next year at the age of 64,
1: what happens? All right, so that's a great question. So I'm actually going to flip this on its head and shock you. With your military pension, which gives you roughly 50% of your final duty pay, is that right?
0: A little bit over, yes, because I okay. was
1: 24 years. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you get that, and then mm-hmm. you're going to have this pension from the other job you've been at. What percent of your costs of living will those two pensions cover?
0: You mean what I, I, cover, what I have now? What you, yeah, to- so
1: what you typically spend. So what you're going to have from the military pension and this other pension, is it enough for you to live on just from those?
0: Yes, Absolutely. I don't all I have the debt is I have a current car payment that I could pay off if I want to because I have money and savings and then my mortgage.
1: Okay, I so can, I'm gonna surprise you. Even if you bag work at sixty four or sixty six or whatever, it would best serve you to wait till age seventy to take social security because you get an embedded return essentially of eight percent increased benefit for every year you wait to receive it. And since you don't need it to live on in the immediate future, even if you did quit working because of the income you'd have from the pensions, the benefit of you waiting to get a much larger check is that that becomes the base for all the cost of living adjustments over the years. And later in life, if you are blessed with really long life, you'll get much, much larger Social Security checks supplementing your income than you would otherwise.
0: Okay, so what I'm hearing you say that if I retire at 64 and I wait an additional six years to the age of 70, which you've talked about the age of 70 a lot in your program, which you're waiting till the age of 70, correct? Exactly. Then whatever I... I don't put in because I haven't worked for those 6 years. Oh, you'll have enough, you'll security. have enough
1: years of service. Don't fret that. You'll be okay. But I can tell you if you're willing to spend, I think it's 40 bucks. There's a software program that takes you a while to put in all the variables, but it will give you the exact right answer for your situation, and it may even give a different answer than my wait till 70 for you. And it's called MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. So set aside about 90 minutes to answer all the questions they have for you and get an answer from it. And I think you'll be very happy with what you're able to find out by doing that. And again, thank you for your 24 years of service in the U.S. military.